morning. Thank you, Brother Richard. That raises a great and serious question. Does God have preeminence over our vessel? And our vessel is a home for the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Does he have our temple? Are certain rooms locked up away from the Holy Spirit? It brought a lot of things to mind in my own life. And indeed, if we're not going to clean house, there's going to come a time where it'll be too late and our whole house will go down with the waves, with all the stuff in it, and it will perish. And the only way it's going to remain afloat is if we empty it out and let the Holy Spirit seal it up and it will float through the trials, the times, and only then will we survive. A very, very uh, strong warning, and I also have a, a word of warning. It's from the book of Jude. How many of us like to spend time in the book of Jude? It's a, it's a good book. It's direct to the point, but in some ways it's hard to understand. He speaks of things that no other book speaks about, and some are a mystery. We can't really understand them. Um, from other scripture, but I will endeavor. We'll go through the whole book to today. Hopefully it's not going to be that lengthy. I'm not really a very deep uh, theologian, so rest assured I'll try to keep it simple. But uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Jude. And we're going to read through it. I want you to, to follow along with your Bibles. If you don't have one, there might be another Bible in front of you from a book that you can borrow. Uh, the book of Jude is mostly a warning to believers. So you all qualify, most of you. Um, uh, a warning against false theology and false um, theology that sets into the church, no matter how conservative the church can be, it can fall into the trap of uh, some of these things that uh, we'll speak about today. So, yes, it is applicable to the Church of Altona. And to everybody that's listening in, it is applicable. There's a lot we can, we can glean from this book. These people are not your everyday unbelievers. That, that Jude is warning about. Uh, I believe these people who had once had a knowledge of Christ, but denied him by following after their own flesh. And even worse, these people made biblical provisions to follow after their fleshly desires and tried to influence as many people along the way that they could. Jude condemns in fierce terms certain people who are, who are a tree trapped to real Christianity, but vaguely describes who they really were. And I'm not going to come in and try to de decipher who these people were and give them names. I, that's not the point. The point is, there are amongst the Christianity today, the people. They are a threat to real Christianity. And I will refrain to say the vocabulary of Anabaptist Christianity, because it's not biblical. 
we are Christians, period. To say we're Anabaptist Christians, yes, it's our heritage, but it's not, it's not scriptural. God does not speak expressly, or Paul does not expressly speak to the Anabaptist churches scattered throughout Minnesota. He speaks to Christianity. So I will speak to us, yes, as Anabaptist people, but as foremost as Christians. <clears throat> In truth, it's not important who they were because these people are still among Christianity. And this chapter is applicable to all Christianity at all times. Let us take these words to heart this morning. We will read the entire book and from 1 to 25. So let's start in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in, in Christ, Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he had reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth and for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Those they, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but... What they know naturally as brute breeze, beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have greedily run after the arrow of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsayings of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose, whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots." Raging waves of the sea, foaming at, out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved a blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that he told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lusts. Those be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Very, very strong language. A very dire warning. These men are worse than ungodly because they're twice dead. They're plucked up by the roots. They had, they have tasted of the fruits at one time, but they abandoned it. And in pretense, they still carried it. And they, they had, they presented the wrong view of Jesus. And that is why it goes back to what Brother Richard shared. Jesus chased them out of the temple. They were showing the wrong view of what the temple should be used for. There's a commentary that said about the book of Jude. It is not too much to say that the New Testament nowhere else presents so many strange phenomena or raises so many curious questions with so narrow a space. That is a good uh, sentence that describes the book of Jude. Let's start with verse 1. Jude, which literally means Judas. I wonder if they changed it to to Jude because it did not want to be affiliated with Judas, who has a bad connotation in Scripture in the New Testament. It means Judas, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Here Jude was too modest to call himself a half-brother to our Lord Jesus, but called himself a servant. To Jude, the blood of the cross that saved him was more important than the family blood in his veins that was related him to Jesus. It had no affiliation. It, it meant nothing that he was half-brother to, to Jesus. It meant more that he could partake of what Jesus represented. That was what's important. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and pre preserved in Jesus Christ and called, this letter is dealing with the called, the ones who are already Christians. Most of you in this room, this letter is for you. Not those that need to be evangelized, not those that have not been saved, but for those that have, have been saved. As we read and meditate over these verses, how do, we in, how do we in 2022 find them applicable to here and now? And that is what I want you to speak of this morning. And I want to open up with a prayer again. Our Heavenly Father, as we read these very serious words, there's a warning from the book of Jude. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. You already spoken to us this morning. And we pray, Father, that we not be not hearers only, but that we be doers. That we be of those that cleanse the temple, that dear Holy Spirit may find room, Father, to encamp and to lead and to guide us. We pray, Father, to make these words real. We pray, Father, that you anoint my lips, that I'll be able to speak as I may, as you would have me speak. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. 
be multiplied. He does not say be added to you. He said be multiplied. In the mind and heart of Jude, it wasn't enough to have mercy, peace, and love added to the life of the Christians. He looked for multiplication instead of simple addition. The Christian life can be multiplied. The Christian life can multiply blessing, not merely add to them. How many of you find this real in your own experience? Has the love of Christ multiplied in your heart or merely added just a little bit? I think we can all relate to how he's multiplied blessings, how he's multiplied the work of himself in our lives. Verse 3, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, I had a different letter in mind for you, is what he was saying. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. There was once a faith preached and delivered, and we need to fight to preserve it. And I want to say there was a lot of pressure in them days for different false teachings. And there is more today. There is a lot more false teachings today because of social media. There's an opportunity to hear the right stuff, but there's also opportunities to listen to the bad things. And we see it all around us. Verse 4, For there are many, there are certain men crept in unaware, secretly entering your group. These men know the Bible. They can quote it very easily. They come unnoticed. They look harmless. They dress nice. They talk nice. They mix very nice with the people. Just a little poison. They bring an agenda with them. They bring a wrong doctrine. Just one little bit of a twist. Who were before of old ordained. The prophets wrote and warned about these false prophets and teachers. To this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of God the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They are full of lust and full of lewdness and take advantage of the grace of Christ. These are not afraid to crucify the Lord afresh every day. They deny him by their actions and the denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I heard a quote lately by Martin Lloyd-Jones. When saints sin, they know they are not sinning against law, but against love. These men that Jude describes are used to sinning against his love, and they don't bat an eye. They don't care. They have one thing in mind, that is to get numbers, to have people look up to them. They have a pride issue. The, the idea behind the ancient word lewdness, that is lasciviousness, um, the definition is lewdness, that is practiced without shame, without any sense of conscience or decency. Usually the word is used in a sense of sensual sin, such as sexual immorality, but it can also be used in a sense of brazen, anti-biblical teaching. When the truth is denied and lies are taught without shame, Jude probably had both ideas in mind here, because as the rest of the letter will develop, these ungodly men had both moral problems and doctrinal problems. These two go in hand. If one has a, a doctrinal problem, it will soon turn into a moral problem because they have twisted their theology by listening to these people that Jude here warns us about. And I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, Jude knew he wasn't telling them anything new. They were already taught 
this example, but they needed to hear it again and again, just like we need to hear it again, to apply it to their present situation. Just like you this morning, we need to hear it. Spurgeon said, as for the root facts, the fundamental doctrines, the primary truths of Scripture, we must from day to day insist upon them. We must never say of them, everybody knows them, for alas, everybody forgets them. Isn't that the truth? We are very forgetful as human beings, especially the things of God. Verse 5 continues. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Think of what God did for the people of Israel in this situation and how that they responded to him. They experienced God's miraculous deliverance at the Red Sea. They heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai. They received his care and provisions of manna in the wilderness, yet they still lapsed into unbelief and never entered into the place of blessing and rest that God had for them. Save two. Moses and or Moses didn't even enter in. It was Joshua. This example gives us two lessons. First, it assures us that the certain men caused trouble will certainly be judged, even though they may have started out well in their walk with God. Jude says these certain men might have started out well, but so did the children of Israel, and God afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Second, it warns us that we must follow Jesus to the end and never be among those who, do not, who did not believe. The final test of our Christianity is endurance. Some start the race but never finish it. Verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate. I believe this is talking about Genesis 6, 1-2, account where the angels of God took wives which they chose. If any one of you has a different explanation of this in verse 6, for the angels that have kept not their first estate, please share it after I'm down. But I believe it's talking about Genesis 6, 1 to 2, and it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, and that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were that they were fair and took with them wives of which to choose. The angels which kept not their first estate. We know some things about this unnatural union in Genesis 6. We know that this unnatural union produced unnatural offsprings. The unnatural union corrupted the genetic pool of mankind. So God had to find Noah, a man perfect in his generation, in Genesis 6, 9, that is pure in genetics. This unnatural union prompted an incredible drastic judgment of God, a global flood wiping out all of mankind except for eight people. What left their habitation, he had reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. We can add another piece of knowledge from Jude 6. This unnatural union prompted God to imprison the angels who sinned in this way. They are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And again, it's, it's turning very vague and cloudy here. One commentary wrote, as for the specific details of this unnatural union, it is useless to speculate. We don't know how fallen angels' genetic material could mix with human genetic material. Perhaps it happened through a unique form of demon possession and the fallen angel walked through a human host. 
We know that angels have the ability to assume human appearance, at least temporarily, but we don't know more than that. So this is where I'll leave this, this scripture. There are some things within this book that we can only speculate, but to make definite assumptions is not wise. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. That strange flesh meaning full of sexual sin, homosexuality. And people who desired sexual relations that God does not allow are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude refers to the account in Genesis 19 where homosexual conduct of the men of Sodom is described. Ezekiel 16, 49 tells of other sins that Sodom had. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Sexual depravity was not only sin, but it was certainly among their sins, and Jude makes this plain. The sins described in Ezekiel 16.49 show that Sodom and Gomorrah were indeed prosperous and had lots of physical possessions. You don't have fullness of food and abundance of idleness if you don't have material blessings. But despite their great blessings from God and material prosperity, they sinned and were judged. And for this, we can be judged for. Even though there is no homosexuality amongst us, that we can have abundance of bread, abundance of food, and stretch not our hand out to see to a need that we know there is one. That was that was the first sin of Sodom, according to Ezekiel um, sixteen forty nine. Likewise, it is the same way those have entered your group in verse eight. Also, these filthy dreamers; these are out of touch with reality. They, they come to you and say, I have had this vision, using dreams to try to convince people of some great revelation they singularly had without pointing out other people. We can relate to this. They come to us and say, I have just had this vision. And because people don't know scripture anymore, they fall headline and sinker to those that say, I just had a revelation or I just had a vision. Thus says the Lord. The verse 8, defile the flesh, despise the minion. These men first reject authority in the church. Then they reject God's ordained authority and government of man and speak evil of dignities, uh, meaning re revile angelic majesties. When Jude pointed out these certain men reject authority, it meant that they wanted to be in authority. Therefore, they rejected the authority of God, and they rejected those God put in authority. These men are so blindly following after themselves that they reject anything that hasn't passed the threshold of themselves. Today, among our culture, there are people that encourage us to reject authority and recognize self as the only real authority in our lives. We can do this with the New Testament by choosing to only believe certain passages in the New Testament. We can do it with our beliefs by picking and choosing the solid bar of religion. They say these scriptures are no longer applicable to today. 
These scriptures were for the modern culture of the day. They, they're not, they don't really mean us right now. It is very cultural, these verses. That chapter is very cultural. These scriptures were meant for the modern culture of the day, but they are no longer applicable to us. Or they say, or we can do these same things with our lifestyle by making our own rules and not recognizing the proper authorities God or the church has established. Probably these dignities, dignitaries were the apostles or other leaders in the church. Their rejection of authority was connected with their speaking evil of dignitaries. In verse 9, and that's another vague verse, but I feel it's very applicable for the day. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. That is all he said to the devil. The Lord rebuked thee. It is very vague. It's probably one of the most vague verses here in the book of Jude. We don't know where Jude received his information about this dispute. He may have received a unique revelation from God. But according to teachers in early church, Jude refers to the apocryphal apocryphal book known as Assumption of Moses, of which only small portions have survived. We don't even exactly know why there was a dispute about the body of Moses. Some have said that the devil wanted to use bodies, Moses' body as an object of worship to lead Israel astray into idolatry. Others have thought that Satan want, wanted to desecrate the body of Moses and claimed the right to it because Moses had murdered an Egyptian. It is more likely considered that the devil anticipated a purpose God had for Moses' body, and he tried to defeat that plan. We know that after his death, Moses appeared in bodily form at the Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 1-3, with Elijah, whose body was caught up to heaven. But for Jude, the main point isn't why Michael was disputed, but how he disputed with the devil. And that's our takeaway of that verse. How Michael spoke to the devil. He did not bring any accusing accusations against the devil. That is reserved for the great day of judgment. And it's not our job. And Michael knew this. Importantly, Michael dare not bring against him a reviling accusation. Michael did not mock or accuse the devil. God hasn't called us to judge the devil, to condemn the devil, to mock him or accuse him, but to battle against him in the name of the Lord. Amen. This relates to certain men by how much more line of thinking. If Michael dared not bring against him a reviling accusation against the devil, how much more should we not bring? And we don't think of these things like that. There are certain men that have no problem even praying to the devil in behind the pulpit and calling him all kinds of names behind the pulpit while they're praying. Verse 10. But these speak evil of these things which they know not, but they what they know naturally 
but these speak evil. In contrast to Michael, who would not even speak evil of the devil, these certain men speak evil, especially when they rejected authority and spoke against, against dignitaries. By whatever they do not know, the certain men didn't know the things or the people they spoke evil about. Their evil speech was made worse by their ignorance. Since they also spoke against dignitaries and rejected authority, these certain men did not know about the true spiritual leadership and authority. They found it easy to speak evil against it. As brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Brute beasts, meaning animals can be smart or clever in an instinctive way, but they obviously do not have spiritual knowledge. It, it was in the same way that these certain men acted, just like brute beasts. They didn't know what they were doing because they don't know God. They don't know scriptures. A irrelevant example of verse 9, I feel, and I hate to bring up names behind a pulpit, but we all could discern this when listening to people like Kenneth Copeland, for example. In one of his sermons, he, he just finished bragging about uh, $11 million Learjet that he has. And in the next sentence, he starts praying to God, and it's a nice prayer, but then he starts taunting the devil. And I'm not going to repeat what it says. It's, it's shameable. He's speaking of dignitaries which he does not understand, where Michael, archangel, only dared to say, the Lord rebuked thee, and he's having a conversation and a prayer and taunting the devil. Calling him names. It is not only against these obvious to discern men that Jude warns about, but also those that are not so easy to discern where it takes a body of Christ to discern them. And I say a body of Christ, where one person might not discern it, but the next brother will, because we all have different strengths and weaknesses. That is why the body of Christ must discern and judge dreams when they say, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, okay, that's fine. You got a, pray you got a revelation last night. But what does the scripture say? What... How did the brothers discern that revelation? There have been many young people that have abandoned community life because there was somebody that came along and says, thus says the Lord. And they think they're so spiritual and they start worshiping him almost as, as being the word of God. And the, the, the body of Christ that they're part of cannot discern of which spirit that comes from. And they do not have an answer for these young people. I tell you, brethren, I want to say this very carefully. If this is our only take home this morning, remember that we have to be very, very careful not to speak evil of dignities. And these dignities have come in, very, in, in many shapes, sizes, and forms. That don't, not only mean spiritual leaders or elders in a church, but also these dignities that rule our country. And dignities might not be the right word, but they're, they're kings and, and they're part of government. They're, they're kings, they're, they're presidents, 
they're speakers of the house. The Joe Bidens, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Putins, they're all who they are. And we might have certain strong opinions in their sometimes seemingly incompetence. We have our opinions about them. But what good will it do to laugh at them, to taunt them, calling them evil names? We all know as a Christian people from which spirit they operate in. Do we doubt that God is still in control while these people are in control? Do we doubt that God is in control? I think we would all say we do not doubt that God is in control, but we sometimes wonder what's going on. What do we do in the midst of that is my question. And my response to is, as we pray, we trust the Lord. We don't start protesting. We don't start taking our 18 wheelers down the road in, in protest against these dignitaries that God has ordained. We pray for them. Do we doubt that God has allowed them to be in office? Or do we feel it is in our hands as Christians to put them in and out of office and trying to get this country back to where it was? I tell you, it never was in the hands of God to begin with. The founding fathers were not Christians. They weren't. No matter what they're trying to tell you in the evangelical um, textbooks of social studies, our founding fathers were not godly men. There were people that had a good moral. There were people that were decent. Benjamin Franklin was not a godly person. George Washington was not a godly person either. These are our founding fathers that we want to fight and give our lives for. I tell you, you will land, land up in a grave six foot deep because you have lived by the sword, you will die with it, along the same spirit. We need to lift up these people in prayer, trusting God that he has everything under control. And yes, it might mean suffering for us very soon. It might mean that, but God never promised that we would have a safe and a prosperous life. He wants us to have it, but it's not promised all the time. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, I exhort you, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, all men, for kings and for all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That is good. That is pure. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Let us pray for that end. For that is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. This is what we should be striving after. Who would have all men to be saved. Not that they would be Republican or Democrats, but that they would be saved. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Always remember, brethren, that in the days when the scriptures are written, the leaders and governments of these days 
were much, much worse than what we have today. Even Paul apologized to Ananias, the high priest, in Acts 23, 1-5. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, shall God, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by him, revilest thou God's high priest. And Paul said, I wish not, brethren, I'm sorry, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Paul recognized this, and he recanted of what he said. He apologized in the spur of a moment. He did not think what he said, but he took it back. For thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. I now realize it is sometimes hard to stay quiet given a sit- and give situations to the Lord in prayer, especially when you clearly see this country had an evil certain direction. But let us be careful not to handle these situations in the same spirit like the world does. We need to pray for them. Now we're going to go to verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. 1 John 3.12 tells us that Cain murdered his brother because evil's works were righteous by faith, while Cain's own were wicked. Cain's lack was not in works, but in faith. And ran greedily after the arrow of Balaam for reward or profit, and perishing again, sayings of Kor. The greedy error of Balaam was that he was willing to compromise everything for money. The certain men Jude warned about had the same heart. Many Christians would never deny Jesus under persecution, but might deny him by succumbing to covetousness and richness over the course of time. There is not a single sin that corrupts men will not commit for the sake of money. Covetousness is such dangerous sin that it killed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and helped put Jesus on the cross. Verse 11, the rebellion of Kor, Korah. This was also rejection of God's appointed leaders, especially God's appointed mediator. When a certain man rejected authority and spoke evil against dignitaries, they walked in the rebellion of Korah. One commentator, Coder, said, these three men came from quite different backgrounds. Cain was a farmer, Balaam was a prophet, and Korah was a leader in Israel. Apostasy is never confined to one group of people. There are apostates in the pulpit, apostates in the palace, and apostates in the poorhouse. Here Jude draws visual description of these men in verse 12. These are spots, blemishes in your feasts of charity. They're special Christian meals, fellowship meals. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. And this, uh, verse 12, it works like this. At the agape feast, everybody brought what they could, some little, some a lot. But they all shared it together. Some were slaves who were Christians. It might have been the only decent meal they regularly ate. The selfishness of these certain men spoiled the fellowship. It always spoils fellowship when we come to church with selfish, bless me attitudes. And it not only that, many who would never eat selfishly at church meals still came to church concerned with serving only themselves. 
I believe also that if we partake with these men, we start mixing their unrighteous leaven into the church that afflict those blemishes and their spiritual consequences because of them. Clouds they are without water, carried about with winds, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. In other words, they're not only missing fruit, the very plants are dead. They have fallen from grace completely, reprobate, in a very sad state. Verse 13, raging waves of sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom it was reserved a blackness of darkness forever. Raging waves of sea means to me, for modern, with modern men we have great steel ships. The sea is often a thing of beauty, but in them days, in ancient times, in biblical culture, the sea was an unmanageable terror. The boats were small and rickety. Isaiah 57, 20 expressed it like this, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose water cast up mire and dirt. These men were busy and active like the raging waves of the sea, but all it brought was foaming up of their own shame. The fruit of them, of these men, are like the foam or scum at the seashore. Jude was in my, has in mind an ugly seashore after a storm that washed up all kinds of driftwood, seaweed, debris, and junk, plastic bottles. This is the kind of the, the, the picture that he draws. And like wandering stars, he used in, in 13, like comets streaking through the sky, these certain men astonished the world for a time and then vanished into darkness. These unpredictable stars were no good for guidance and navigation. Even so, these deceivers were useless and not to be trusted. Here today, gone tomorrow. And verse 14, And Enoch also, the seventh of Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here Jude quoted from Enoch, who is described in Genesis 5 and mentioned in Hebrews 11 again. The ancient book of Enoch was not received as scripture, but it was highly respected among both the Jews and early Christians. One commentary, Trapp said, Tertullian tells us that the book of Enoch's prophecies were preserved by Noah in the ark and that they continued and were read until the times of the apostles. But because they contained many famous testimonies concerning Jesus Christ, the Jews out of malice suppressed and abolished the whole book. Verse 16, these are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts, grumblers, complainers. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people. Jew noticed that their methods all re revolved around words. On top of their, on top of their question, questionable lives, they were essentially a people of deception, departing from the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles and prophets. These were grumblers. They were complainers. It has rightly been observed that whenever a man gets out of touch with God, he is likely to begin complaining about something. It has been rightly been observed that whenever a man gets out of touch with God, he is likely to begin complaining about something. 
Spurgeon said it like this. You know the sort of people alluded to here, nothing ever satisfies them. They are discontented even with the gospel. The bread of heaven must be cut into three pieces and served on dainty napkins or else they cannot eat it. And very soon their soul hates even this light bread. There is no way by which a Christian man can serve God so as to please them. They will pick holes in every preacher's coat. And if great high priest himself were there, they would find fault with the color of the stones of his breastplate. They are avid complainers. Verse 16 continues, And their mouth speak a great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These people complain and blame others, doing the evil things they want to do. They brag about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. In 2 Timothy 4.3, we're also warned of these people. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Now we're getting towards more encouragement in verse 17. Jude calls to present Preserve to the end. But remember, beloved, ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly loss. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. These are sensual people. Those men are, were not spiritual. They were carnal and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sensual in this context has nothing to do with sexual attractiveness. It describes a person who lives only by, by and for what they can get through their physical senses. And they live this way selfishly. Their motto is, if it feels good, do it. Just do it. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? They live for the moment. What, what can I do today that will be fun? Life lived to the fullest, sensually speaking. And we all have this temptation, but we know. And God gave us senses to enjoy. And let's not be led astray that everything we do has to be monotonous and drudgery. No. God has given us senses to, to, to enjoy, and God has given them, meaning that we can use them. He is the creator of them, but the devil has twisted each and every one of these senses to his own advantage. And we're not going to go into that, what these senses all is and how, how the devil has twisted them, but he has every one of them. Not having the spirit, this same description could be written over many churches or even individual Christian people. The church and the world truly needs genuine spiritual men and women who have the spirit and walk in it daily. These are believers that live a disciplined life and are not only used to going against the flow of the world, but they're also able and willing and are working against the flowing of their own selfish desires. Verse 20, 
For ye, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in the faith, meaning this faith will not be completed overnight. It requires a labor of building daily. This is one way that we can keep ourselves in the love of God. It means to keep growing spiritually and to keep building. Jude tells us, build yourself up with your most holy faith. This means that we are responsible for our own spiritual growth. It means that we cannot wait for spiritual growth to just happen by itself or expect others to daily feed us um, on a daily basis or on the weekends and make us grow. How long will, be, will we be our spiritual... How long will we be spiritual babies that require meetings like today for most of our spiritual sustenance? Jude has shown us the frailty of men and how deceivers even infiltrate the church. If you always entrust your spiritual growth to someone else, it will only hurt your spiritual growth. It will not only hurt your spiritual growth, but it may lead you astray. We all need to get an idea of what it means to be attached to the vine. Others can help provide an environment conducive for spiritual growth, but no one can make another person grow in their relationship with the Lord. Nobody is connected. My children are spiritually not connected to me for growth. They all have to get their own tether to the Lord Jesus. The Holy, on the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost. This is another way to keep yourself in the love of God. A battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is a spiritual battle requiring prayer in the Holy Spirit. Many of our prayers are directed by our own needs, our own intellects, or by our own wishes and desires. But there is a higher level of prayer. Likewise, the Spirit also helps, our, helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit may help us pray by giving us the right words when we pray. We may speak through groanings which cannot be uttered, or the Holy Spirit may do it through the gift of tongues. Verse 21. Keep yourself, keep yourselves. This requires daily work, prayer, obedience, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 22, and on some have compassion, making a difference. This is a very important point. And on some have compassion, making a difference. Who are doubting, helping those that are doubting. Have mercy on those. Using wisdom, we approach people in different manners. By being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we can know when we should comfort, who we can, should comfort, who is struggling. By the Holy Spirit in us, leading us to a certain person that might be struggling. But we might approach them in love, saving them from the fire of affliction that they are in. Discouragement. Christians should not abandon a friend flirting with false teachings. They should help him through it in love. Brethren, who do we think we are if we think we are someone? We have been pulled from the same fire and set on solid ground. If it wasn't for Christ, we'd be nothing. 
And with that humility, we need to see our failing human being next to us that needs our help, that might be in the fire. Maybe they're not saved yet. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they have been saved, but they're in a rough patch in life. They need help. Save them from the fire. It also means that we are, we are to continue to love them. No matter how bad a person is or how misleading and terrible their doctrine, we are not allowed to hate them or to be unconcerned for their salvation. This does not mean that we should partake of their sin. But treating them with the realization that they were pulled from the same mire that he or she was, needs to be pulled from. Yes, be their friend but not participate in their evil deeds. Young people, if you have a friend that is not saved yet, make sure there is a line that you approach them. This is not the same friendship we had before, but I love you, and I want to help you. I want to help you from this mire which you, you are in because I was in there with you, but things have changed. I'm not going to partake again of these sins that we did before. There's a clear line. I'm not going to cross over them. If you're not interested, I cannot be your friend. I will be your friend if you want me, but I'm not going to participate in the things that we did. This is the attitude in which we must look at our old friends, not participate again in the mire which we were in again before. 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even a garment spotted by the flesh. It should disgust us. We should have a very vivid recollection of where we were pulled from so that we do not fall in again. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and, and some have mercy with fear, hating even a garment polluted by the flesh. How much do we hate sin? What attitude do we have towards those, these things that pull us away from Christ? Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I tell you, brethren, when we scroll through that phone and we reach some of that pollution that we were in before and our eyes linger at these things, what attitude do we have towards them? Are we disgusted? Are we willing to throw that phone away in disgust? And cry out to the Lord and, Lord, and Lord, preserve me from ever falling into this mire again. I tell you, if we have this attitude, we will not find ourselves in a roller coaster life. I'm speaking from experience. We have to treat it as such and put it in its proper perspective. Verse 24, And now, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There are serious deceptions in the world and often among those called Christians. There are enemies of the gospel who have infiltrated the church. Yet despite the greatness of this threat, God is greater still. He wins, and if we will only stay with him, we will be guaranteed victory also. Jude is a book full of warnings, but it closes with supreme confidence in God. Dangerous times should make us trust in, in a mighty God. These words are always applicable to Christians at all times. And we will end with this last verse. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.